0: To our Lord in prayer together. Father in heaven, you are holy, 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 and you dwell in inapproachable light. And yet through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is the light of the world, you have allowed us to see yourself. Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Lord is the image of the invisible God. And the God who dwells in inapproachable light is now approachable to us through the one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus. And so we come in his name asking you, O Father, that you would be with us as your children, especially as we read your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we come to study and plunder the riches of the great triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that You, by Your Spirit, Lord, would give us right understanding and that You would let us see the majesty, the glories, the holiness of the Son in whom You speak through. Lord, we do pray that we would have ears to hear Your Word. We would have minds able to understand it, hearts softened to receive it. And we pray, Lord, that we would not only hear it, but that we would also do it. That in our call as Christians, it's not only to hear the word and to believe it, but also to go out in obedience and do it. And so, Father, as we look at these verses this morning, as we think about these deep riches of your splendor and majesty, may we see, Lord, how the light of Jesus Christ now, commands us to reflect that light into a lost and dying world. And so would you enable us, Lord, to put to death sin in our life and to pursue Christ's likeness so that we might carry Christ into our homes, into our community, and share Christ both through proclamation and works that you love the least of these and that you save sinners. Surely, Lord, that is the good news of great joy that the shepherds heard as the angelic hosts burst through the skies. For unto us is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Lord, we do pray that we would see him clearly, not as a newborn baby in a manger, but as a king who is the heir of all things, as the king who awaits for his kingdom to be consummated. May we see him as the bridegroom who is ready to sit and to feast with his bride. And may we long, as we think about the first advent of our Savior, may we long for the second advent of our Savior where we see him, and on that day that we see him, we will be like him. Lord, we are a people who are admittedly weary from trotting through this sin-filled world. We know that this sin-filled world is full of consequences from the fall into sin. And so we deal with sicknesses, and we deal with pains, and we deal with death, and we deal with hard medical diagnoses. We deal with frustration and anxiety and depression. We struggle with the flesh that tempts us to commit iniquities against you. And we fall, Lord, so short of your glorious standards. And so, Lord, we long for the day where sin, death, tears are no more. We long for the day that we do not wrestle with our flesh, but that we are fully righteous as you are righteous, holy as you are holy. And we pray along with the Apostle John that that day would come quickly. But until then, Lord, may we uh, pray for those who are sick. May we Pray for those who are in need. May we yoke ourselves together with brothers and sisters in Christ, not isolating ourselves in this pilgrim way, but that we might encourage one another to persevere, that we might encourage one another to grow in Christ's likeness. Father, we pray that our church would see much increase, both spiritually and numerically. We pray, Lord, that we would be a church who loves you with all of our being and loves our neighbor as ourselves. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people who love your word. And may it start even now as we pay careful attention to it. We ask that you would speak to us now, our Heavenly Father, for us as your servants are listening, as we think about the supremacy of God's Son. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Again. Looking at Hebrews 1, reading verses 1-4, through focusing in this morning on verse 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. And ever. Well, I'd invite you to keep your Bibles open this morning because we're going to reference our text, of course. But we're going to also find ourselves in Luke chapter two, that well-known Christmas story where the shepherds see the angelic hosts bursting forth through the skies and revealing to us that the Messiah had been born. But if you look back at verse two, I want to mention something as way of introduction. If you look back at verse two you'll notice that the apostle who writes this letter says, in these last days, maybe one of the questions that I get from our community more than any other is, Pastor, do you think that we are living in the last days? And quickly, my answer is always yes. Maybe that might be surprising to you. I I, I don't make it a habit of, trying to prophesy when when the Christ will return in that second advent. But the point that I'm making when I answer yes and what I quickly begin to explain to them is that I'm not answering that question as they might understand it, but I'm answering that question in the way that the Apostle understands it here in Hebrews chapter 1. Because here it is that the last days are defined as the period in which Christ has come And he has revealed to us the glory of God. And so you might say, are we living in the last days? The answer is yes. From the coming of our Lord Jesus and the establishment of that new covenant that was promised to us in Jeremiah 31, we have the inauguration of the last days in which God has spoken to us finally and climatically in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the things in which we mentioned this past Wednesday night during our midweek services, and I love how in the providence of the Lord these sermons and these teaching opportunities are are tying together so intimately for me. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that he is the fulfillment of the prophecies of old, we said that Jesus Christ is the yes and amen in which all has been said by our Lord in the Old Testament times. You'll notice that's exactly what the author of Hebrews says here in verse 1. And we've mentioned this already in our short series this Advent season. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, all of his promises have their yes and amen in Jesus. He has spoken to us by his Son. And so if you hear anything else this morning, we must understand that God reveals himself to us as he desires to do so. God reveals himself to us as he desires to do so. He is self-expressing, self-communicating, and in the Son, God has spoken fully, finely, perfectly, completely through the person of Jesus Christ, the Son. And if you were with us a number of weeks ago as we introduced this sermon series, you remember that we said that it's actually written by the apostle who wrote this letter to the Hebrews. It's actually a function of God to speak to us through the Son. In fact, we imply that definite article there. There is no the son. It's just simply his son or he speaks to us through the literal Greek is he speaks to us through son. And that's very important for us to understand because the son, as it's written here, denotes both relation. It denotes both relation and also eternity. Because what we understand here is there's a relation of origin. The Son comes from the Father, right? It's a distinction. The Son is not the Father, but the Son is of the Father eternally. The Son does not have a beginning. There was a time in which we all began. We were born of natural generation. We have mothers and we have fathers. There was a time in which we were conceived in our mother's womb by natural regeneration, but there was never a time in which the Son became. He is always begotten of the Father. He always came from the Father. He is eternally God. There was never a time in which God the Son did not exist. And even further, we can say there was never a time in which God the Son was inferior or some sort of junior God. In him, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Literally, what the Apostle John says is that he is face to face with God forever. And that's why we confess together during the Advent season the Nicene Creed. I've mentioned this already in our short series through the Advent season, but you'll notice, right, if you just glance back at your bulletins, that second paragraph, as it begins to expound to us the Lord Jesus Christ he is the only begotten son of God begotten of his father before all worlds God of God, light of light, very God of very God begotten not made being of one substance with the father by whom all things were made all the language in Hebrews 1 1 1-4 is being expounded for us here but you notice how all of this all of this when the Nicene Creed says, Who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. You see, before we can see the humiliation, what we call, the humiliation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we must see the majesty in which He exists. We must understand the holiness and the righteousness of in which He eternally existed, we must understand that the Christ child as He's born on that first Christmas morning is not just some mere baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, but this is God. And this is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. And as we see the Christ child being born, as we see the the Christ child being uh, grown, are growing up in the knowledge of God, in the stature of man, in favor with his neighbors in the community in which we live, we see that Jesus repeats this idea for us, emphasizes this idea for us, underlines this idea for us so clearly. You remember when he was just a 12-year-old little boy, And his parents went to the temple, Mary and Joseph, to to sacrifice the animals for the remission of sins. They begin to journey back to their hometown of Nazareth and they remember or they recognize or they come to find out that they're missing the son, missing their son, Jesus. And they find him in the temple, teaching with authority the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're marveling at His knowledge of the Scriptures. They're marveling at His knowledge of the triune God in which He exists in. You might say He is showing off His Ph.D. level understanding of the Scriptures. And you remember what Jesus tells His mother and father as they scold Him for remaining in the temple Mom and Dad, I'm about my Father's business. You know, it's it's that very phrase. How Jesus references God the Father in Heaven that catches all the religious leaders by surprise. Because what we have here is this Christ referencing God in Heaven as His Father. And He, the Son... And immediately, the religious leaders of Jesus' day would know exactly what he is declaring, that he is one with the Father. And that's why they accuse him of blasphemy. That's why they hate him. That's why they murder him upon a Roman cross. Because they know texts like Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And we need to have that right understanding as well. When we see the Christ, when we read about Him in the Gospels, when we strive to follow Him in Christ's likeness, in His ways, and in His statutes, we are striving for godliness. We are striving for Christ's likeness. When we see Christ, we are seeing God. And I understand that we can't understand the deity of the Son how the Son is God, fully and truly. I know we cannot understand that in human terms, and we we actually see the disciples struggling with that as they see Jesus calming the waters there in the boat. I know that I've mentioned this story to you, but I think it demands for retelling. Because you remember when the disciples were struggling against the waves and the waters there on the Sea of Galilee, they they thought that they were going to die. They thought they were going to die at sea. Their ship's breaking up and Jesus is peacefully sleeping. And, And they wake Jesus, what are we to do, Lord? You know, they're speaking so much beyond their human understanding. And Jesus stands up. And He speaks to the winds. And He speaks to the waves. And He says... Be quiet or or be muzzled. Be calm. And the winds and the waves, they immediately cease, it says. And you remember the response of the disciples? They were filled with great fear and they asked one another, Who is this that the winds and the waves might obey? And the author of Hebrews says, It is the Son who is fully God, fully man the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of the Father's nature. He is the one who speaks as He desires to speak, and the winds and the waves obey. The the created voice that they hear, or the creating voice that they hear in Genesis 1 and 2, the waves and the winds hear again, and they respond accordingly. Well, the author of Hebrews gives us this lengthy sermon all the way through chapter 13 so that we might be like the winds and the waves, that we would respond accordingly to the voice of our Master, the Son, the God-Man, the Lord Jesus. And he gives us these two metaphors, you might say, of the Son in relation to the Father to identify His his power and his might and his majesty before us. And so if you look at verse 3, here's our main text for the morning. The first metaphor is, he, talking about the sun, is the radiance of the glory of God. The sun is the radiance of the glory of God. Well, that That requires us to answer the question first. What is God's glory? What is God's glory? And we have to understand that because our God is self-expressing, He tells us what His glory is. And His glory is Himself. God's glory is Himself. If you think about God's glory, you think about His absolute holiness. His unapproachable splendor. His perfect majesty. His supreme beauty. His unlimited power. There is nothing higher nor more glorious than God. And so He Himself is His glory. And the Bible says here that the glory of God is generated, as it were, from God Himself. It's using Language that we can grasp almost because it says that the glory of God is radiated through the sun. And so immediately there we think about light. And we know that our Bibles talk much about how God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so immediately we should be thinking God is glorious. He dwells in light. God is Light In Him, no darkness. And and what this text is saying, what verse 3 is saying first in this first metaphor is that God's glory, His gloriousness is radiant. It shines forth. And it shines forth through the sun. This illustration, I think, is teaching us that Yes, we can distinguish between the light and the radiance of that light. The Father is not the Son, nor is the Son the Father. But at the very same time, they are one. The light is only light because it shines forth. The glory of God is only the glory of God because it radiates through the Son. To kind of help us grasp that a, a little bit, I know this illustration is imperfect or falls short of the radiance of the glory of God, but we can understand it in terms of lamps or or flashlights. A light is not a light unless it radiates light, right? It's useless if it does not give forth or radiate light. A lamp, a flashlight, the operation is one. The light and the radiance of the light is one. And that's what... The author of Hebrews is saying the masters of the sea, as we see in the Gospels, is the one who radiates the glory of God. Our Lord and Savior Jesus shines forth the light of the Father's glory. So in Christ, all of those things in which we describe as the glory of God can be seen in Jesus We can see His absolute holiness. We can now approach His splendor. We can now recognize His majesty. We can now behold His beauty. We can now witness His power. This text is not saying that the sun reflects the glory of God. Nor is this text saying that the Son is illuminated by the glory of God. No, He is the shining forth of the glory of God. The author of Hebrews writes in this way so that we might try to wrap our minds around this fact that Christ is the Father's glory. And so this illustration or this metaphor is telling us that we cannot think of the Father without the Son. And you cannot think of the Son without the Father. And this becomes so much more applicable to us in texts like 2 Corinthians 4-6 where the Apostle Paul, thinking about the radiance of the glory of God that's seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ, says, Let light shine out of darkness for He has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that by the softening of our hearts, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we now see and feel the warmth of the radiance of the glory of God in in Christ Jesus. The glory of the Lord has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And if you'll just keep your finger there at Hebrews and turn over with me to to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke is the the fourth and final gospel within... No, it's not. It's the third. John is the fourth and final gospel of the New Testament. Luke is right before that. Luke chapter 2 is that well-known Christmas scene where the angels appear to the shepherds and I want to read verses 8 through 14 Luke is the last of the synoptic gospels, there we go I redeemed myself and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear Particularly pay attention to how it says in verse 9 that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Did you catch that? That the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory was revealed to the shepherds through the heralded story of who? Jesus. The Son of God who has been born to save His people from their sins. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And in the same way, beloved, even this day, we have the heralded story of Christ. And we get to say, along with the shepherds, through the message of the Lord and Savior Jesus, that the glory of the Lord shines about us. Because it is Jesus and this story of the Christ child being born and growing in the likeness of man placing himself under the law, yet obeying the law perfectly. Though he was perfect, dying a sinner's death, being buried, raised in victory, ascended on high, taking his place of honor in heaven. It is that story that shines forth the radiance of the glory of God. The Son, as the Father speaks, shines forth the radiance of the glory of God. That's why Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. And not just in this world, but also in the world to come. Again, keep your fingers there at Hebrews chapter 1, but turn over to the, the last book of our Bibles. I'm very confident that I got that right. The last book of our Bibles, chapter 21. Chapter 21. Starting in verse 22, as John the Apostle, of course, knowing the words of Jesus, I am the light of the world, he sees the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, this new created order in which God will reign forever as king and that we will be his people. He says in verse 22, and I saw no temple in that city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the what? Glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamp. You see, what's happening there in Revelation is the, the fullest and consummated seeing of the Lord Jesus Christ for he is the radiance of the glory of God but if we didn't get that the apostle here in Hebrews verse 3 gives us another illustration he tells us after he says that he is the radiance of the glory of God he says and he is the exact imprint of his nature The Son is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. The Apostle here at the end of verse 3 tells us something of the fact that the Son is a repetition of the Father, as one commentator says. A representation of the Father, as John Calvin says. The Son and the Father share the same imprint of being. That's why in John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And you might know the context of where, or or, or the reason in which Jesus says those words, because Philip the disciple says to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, I want you to show me the Father. And Jesus says, How long am I to be with you? Because if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How can Jesus say such a thing? Because here it is that the apostle, the author of Hebrews, he writes the exact imprint of the Father is the Son. What Jesus is saying is, I and the Father, we're one God. The Father is in me and I am in Him. We speak the same words. We, just, we, we decree the same will. We are one God who eternally exists in three persons. This exact imprint of the nature of God is, is something that we can understand. It's a stamp, isn't it? In, in the biblical times it would be a, a, a stamp that would be sealed in hot wax as something of a king's seal. And it's it's not just a copy of the original. No, the king seal imprinted upon an envelope or a letter would say, this is the word of the king. It's as if you're holding the very nature, the power, the authority of the king. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews wants you to understand. He, he wants you to understand in the person of Jesus Christ you have all power and authority that belongs to the Father in the Son because they are equal in power and glory. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so I, I'd like to think I like to think that when the angelic hosts see the baby being born in the manger, as they see Mary wrapping him in swaddling clothes, as they see the shepherds approaching him and bowing before him, as they see him growing in the stature of man, in the likeness of man, in the knowledge of God, as they see him being crucified, as they see him being risen, as they see him presenting his slain body before the father the angels of heaven look at look at Jesus and say he's just like his father he's the exact imprint of his father you know something of that don't you that oftentimes when we see a child and their dad we'll say something of you know he looks just like you well the angels of heaven say that very, Same thing, more fully and completely about the Christ. They look upon the Messiah and they say, this is the very imprint, the exact imprint of the nature of God. All of God's holiness, all of God's righteousness, all of God's power, all of God's authority, all of God's majesty, all of God can be seen in Jesus. And what are we to do with that? What are we to do with that? Well, first, we're to understand that God the Father and God the Son are two distinct persons, but they are equal in power and glory. We, we are to understand, try to grasp something of the Trinity. And we should worship the mystery, as we've also said, but, but we should take Jesus' words back in the Sermon on the Mount, As he says, I am the light of the world, but also you are the light of the world. And what does Jesus mean? How can both be true? Well, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And we're called as the light of the world to reflect that radiance. Remember I said that Jesus doesn't merely reflect the light of God. No, he is the light of God. And now we're called to reflect it. We're called to shine forth the light of Christ We're called to reflect the glory of God to a lost and dying world. We're called to hear and do the word, to be in the word, to sit under the word, and then do all that it commands. But we're also called to pray. To pray and strive to be more Christ-like. We're called to pray and to strive to put death, sin in our life, and pursue godliness. That's what Jesus prays for us as his disciples in John chapter 17, isn't it? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. And so, yes, we cannot be the exact imprint of the nature of God, but we can, beloved, grow up in godliness. And we ought to do so. For the advancement of his kingdom. And the glory of his name. May we reflect the light of Jesus and may we be A very dim, yes, very dim, but nonetheless a part of bringing the Lord glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this time in your word. And we pray, Lord, that it would encourage where it ought to encourage us, convict us where it ought to convict us. Let us not uh, be weary as the Spirit convicts us, but let us count it a joy to be corrected and made to look more like Jesus. Father, may we be sanctified by your word that is true. And our confession says that it's especially the preaching of the word that encourages believers and sanctifies us in the means of grace. And so, Lord, use this time in your word to do that very thing here amongst us. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen and amen.